thekitlocker.com club series podcast. podcast. Talking everything grassroots. Welcome to another kitlocker.com club series podcast. This time we're focusing on how to successfully run a youth boys football team. We've got one guest today, uh, Rob Wilson. Uh, I'm joined by Ben as well, the co-host. So Rob, over to you to explain a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, hi Ali, hi Ben. Um, so I set up Kitlocker Juniors Football Club in, goodness me now, what was it? 2018, 18, 19, something like that. And I'd obviously been working with Kitlocker for quite some time. Uh, my son was playing in a in a local grassroots league and I thought we could do something a little bit better, a bit different, something that was, let's say, away from that traditional grassroots football club set where you get a bunch of parents all trying to invest the time rightly uh, in the club. But I just felt we could do something a bit bit differently. Um, so we set the club up. It was, uh, it was originally just a one-team club, uh, participated under 11, so nine aside in the Sheffield and District Junior Sunday Football League. Uh, it's part of the Hallamshire FA, obviously. Um, and then last year, just ahead of uh, all the issues that we've had over the last 12 months, we set up a second team to work at the same age group, actually. So we now have a Kitlocker Juniors Whites and a Kitlocker Juniors Blacks, because we tend to play in black and whites, so it makes sense. Um, and we've recruited really well. And it's, and it's interesting how the proposition's gone down with, with parents, but also across the rest of the league as well. And we'll perhaps chat a little bit more about that over the next few minutes. I didn't know you'd got a second. Sorry, oh, I didn't realise you got a second team, Rob. Fantastic. Yeah, so when we set it up, I ended up uh, getting stuck as chairman. Um, I think partially because I was probably the most vocal and partially because people thought I was a bit more serious than others. I don't know where they got that idea from. Um, but the guy I co-set it up with, a chap called Ash Walker, uh, was the secretary, or originally the secretary of the club. Um, his son also played uh, in, in the team and had played with my son for, uh, for a few years. And Ash really knew his way around the, the grassroots circuit and around the, you know, all the different teams and, and that type of thing. And because we were so successful in those first couple of seasons, it really stretched the quality of the squad. So we wanted to set something up that was, you know, wouldn't Kipper Juniors White play in the top division of the, of the Sheffield League. It's really quite intensive, high competition. And we just felt we wanted something a bit less serious as well. And um, so I set, set that side up last year and, um, and it works pretty well. Fantastic. Fantastic. I guess that's probably a good place to start, Rob, um, in terms of like the team expanding. And you talked about having like a little bit of a different approach to a traditional, you know, grassroots under league team in Sheffield. What, what does define that? So I think what we we took the view that we could be you get these kids right and all they want to do is play football they don't want to worry about what's going on off the pitch or how things get organized they want to rock up they want to train and they want to play and they don't really care what the results end up being but they want to enjoy their environment they want to enjoy um the, the kids they're playing with um they want a really supportive touchline and what you tend to get in grassroots football is a collection of friends that come together and you can't really control all those other those things off the field you know you might get involved in a big club that's got a, 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 I don't know, a title sponsor and they expect you to wear a particular set of colorways or they expect you to wear a particular brand of kit um, 
you get messed about with some of your kickoff times and all that type of thing. And we, so we just thought, you know what, if we strip this all back, fundamentally what it's what is about, about kids playing football. So we set off then to try and get as many partners as we possibly could to do the best thing they could for the squad. So, um, you know, start at the top. We came to Kit Locker to say, you know, we want the best kit. What kit can you can you get us? And we uh, and you know we exclusively wear Nike stuff now because that's what the kids wanted to wear. So the kit looks good. It means we turn it over fairly frequently, but it's good quality stuff. It looks right. It means when they go onto the pitch, they're not worried about what they look like. They actually feel really really good because they look like some of the Premier League stars, and that that makes them feel cool because you know they're in a short sleeve shirt and they've got a base layer underneath it rather than you know a a shirt with long sleeves that come over their hands and you have to roll the sleeves up because that kit needs to be used for two years. Oh, um, use that as a soundbite, please. But <laughs> can I just take that, what Rob just said, and just use it in some of my presentations? If I, just for a long sleeve versus short sleeve, because that's nail on the head. No, of course. Like, it is that psychology of the kit, though, isn't it? That you, um, you, know, you look good, you feel good, you play good. Um, and I think that's definitely something that, we've seen across loads of clubs that have got their kits from us. So, um, yeah, I think that's nail on the head. But, yeah, continuing on. Yeah, yeah. It's just important. I think kids want to look good, don't they, on the field. So, I say, you know, we have a home kit and away kit. They have some training stuff that they wear. They all look in this kind of, in a kind of uniform, but that creates the identity for them and they love it. And, you know, they love some of the stuff that you guys do on social media. They probably follow all your accounts and they like everything a hundred times because they really feel part of it and they create that association. But because it goes beyond kit, so we were we looked for the best possible venue that we could uh, play and train in. We looked for um, the best possible coaching setup that we could we could get. And whilst we've got um, so Kirlocker Juniors, White, Sean Wilson, another uh, one of the dads, he manages that team. But we've brought in a bunch of really young coaches that are looking to do their level twos or the UEFA Bs. And they work with you know, private coaching organisations. And the offer that I put to them is, you know, you come and coach these kids for free. We'll, give, we'll buy you some kit through the club, but we'll also help pay you through your level two qualification or more recently now the UEFA B qualification so that they grow as individuals. And we had, you know, we've got a couple of young guys started with us at the outset. Um, one of them have been involved, I think, at Barnsley and a bit at Sheffield Wednesday. Another have been involved and still is actually, and, and more so at Sheffield United. Um, and we recruited a young female coach last summer uh, who plays for Derby County Ladies. And actually, you know, she's dead keen to to promote what the youth football circuit is doing. But I think it's a really good role model for the for the lads to mm. have a you know a really good female coach knocking about with them, and she gets stuck into some of the training sessions, they really look up to that. That's, um, just to jump in there, Rob, that's a couple of points there. This morning, man and Ollie's, uh, the topic we did this morning was uh, women, uh, girl, how to develop a girls football team. Mm. And I posed the question regarding uh, external coaching companies and, and the response we, we got back from uh, the two clubs this morning was regarding uh, they don't feel part of the, if you bring in an external coach, you don't always feel part of the community of the club. And, Completely appreciate that, um, but then also regarding the female coaches, their their girls football clubs wanting to really push the female coaching. It's difficult to obviously get the female coach, whether it be a parent or a student, 
Um, but it's interesting that you've done both of those concepts, I guess, quite easily as well. Well, was it easy to, to get a, a female coach in two? Do you feel that, that point regarding the community and an external coach is valid? Yeah, and look, I think what we've tried to do is put aside any preconceived idea of how you run a grassroots football team. There's no history in Kitlocker Juniors. It is absolutely blank sheet of paper, bang on fresh. You know, it, from having to invest personal finance when we set up to make sure we could get the club running before we got some subs in, right the way through to how we might go out and recruit coaches. The only parameters we've really got are what the league say you can and can't do with, um, you know, stuff around child protection and what size pitches you have to play. They're the only real regulations we, we adhere to. Everything else is total open book. And what I say to anybody that wants to get involved in our club is, if you can offer us something that adds value to these kids, then I'm happy to, to, happy to listen to you. Um, so I brought another guy on last year. He was a, another dad had stood on the sideline for 12 or 15 months, um, really wanted to get involved. So he started taking them for a bit of fitness work. Um, he's also a director at a, a promotions company, you know, do, I don't know, pen mugs, that type of thing. And so we started getting us free samples for their Christmas presents. And we got them a little Bluetooth speaker with the Kit Locker logo embossed on it. And it's the little details that mean a massive amount to these young kids. And you know, I'll laugh at it and we'll all have a joke about some of the stuff we're able to do. But to the kids, it really fosters that sense of identity. And the fact that there is, I don't think I've ever said no to somebody. You know, if, if a parent or you know, an external coach or, or a friend that is associated with us say, look, you know, what about doing this? Um, absolutely bang on. So we've had a mate of mine who's a sport nutritionist come down and talk to them about diet and exercise and what they should and shouldn't eat before games. Um, you know, and he rocks up in a tracksuit that's to do with a Premier League football team and the kids are all looking at him thinking he's the best thing in the world and Really, he's just one of our mates. Was that um, was that Mayor by any chance? That was Mayor Mayor us, Yeah, me um, had him on the other day. Yeah, you've got. I mean, you've got to do it. And I think it's about sweating the network, isn't it? So when you when you work and live in a city, you get those networks and you and you see who can contribute. But going back to your question, Ben, about um, about Megan Tinsley, the female coach we got, we at the outset kind of partnered up with uh, Qualitas Sport, who Kitlocker worked with previously. Um, and Gavin at, at Qualitas has been brilliant for us because he said, you know, I can get you some training space. I can provide you with a coach that we pay for out of our subs initially. Um, but what that's done is it's created a buzz around our small club with his um, with his up and coming coaches. And they can see there's a bit of a pathway. They can see there's some funding available if they want to get involved with us. And, you know, Megan rocks up and says, you know, I'm happy to take the lads out or you know, come along on a game day or do a bit of training and it's everything's added value for me. So it's great. And, you know, Megan feels part of the team. And, you know, if we'd have gone on tour this year, she was going to come with us. And, and just, I think that's how it should be. And, and it shows to, to all the kids that if you ask, you can get somewhere. And if you work hard, you can, you can be part of something pretty special. And I think going back to the external coaching company point, it's slightly different from your perspective, I dare say, because she was the new club that almost you've not got a facility where you've been for years. You're not from one area of Sheffield. So let's say Hillsborough, mm. they're, they're based in Hillsborough. You've not got that name to a facility. Whereas if you almost align yourself with, with Qualitas as you did, you then 
you've been able to get introduced to venues and coaches and you've got that extents there that introduction that network whereas obviously the point of bringing somebody in is they've got to fit the the club's mentality but you're you're a brand new club so everything can be molded yeah it's a fair shot i mean alfie my son started his his grassroots football career at hillsborough pumas and i've got a bad word to say about him a fabulous no 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 it's just an example brilliant family-run club but very much typifies what a grassroots football team does so you know, they've got their space down at Hillsborough Arena. That's where all the clubs train. They have to schedule when each squad can get on, what games time they can have. They, you know, are always run and managed by a parent of a kid that's in that particular team. You know, they've got a really established committee. And with that comes the, you know, the venue running costs and all those other things that subs have to go in and pay for. And, you know, and then you can't ignore the socio-demographic groups that are in that, in that area. So the subs tend to be quite low. But as soon as you charge low subs, it limits what you can do um, outside of that. And, and really, that's what I saw as the opportunity for our club was this is how so many grassroots organisations work. Why can't we do something a bit different? So you know, we are slightly more expensive than most to participate in. But you know, in my view, we have the best kit. We play on the best surfaces. We've got the best coaches and we and we train in the best venues. And for me, Go back to that environment point, that was the goal. Can we set up an environment that is totally unique, um, totally high performance in terms of everything that it puts around it, so the kids can just play football and be the best they can be? That, yeah, that, you can see that from just looking into Kit Locker Juniors itself. The brand, the name, the kit, the, the running, the structure is professional, but the kids don't need to know any of that. They just feel it. They feel 10 out of 10. They feel a professional, and then they can have fun. It's it's um it's class to see because obviously for people listening to you know this podcast and this content they're not they're not going to know like obviously the relationship that we've got with you Rob and I remember sitting in a coffee shop listening to you know your not it's almost a pitch of what you wanted to do prior to Kit Locker Juniors being set up and you know a lot of it was it was almost a bit like pie in the sky kind of thing but to see it you know see it tangibly is brilliant and. What you like, like what Ben said, what you've done, you've created that environment that people want to be a part of. And one of the original questions around, well, have you gone from one team to two in such a short period of time? You can see why kids would want to be a part of it because there is that peripheral, you know, whether it's product or experience, which traditionally they might not have got somewhere else. And, you know, whether it is a couple more quitting subs, it's like, well, you can offset that by, by what they're receiving. So, I think that model is really, really, it's positive and it's really good to see. And I, to be honest, you can only see it going one way. It's never going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, it's never going to drop off and Kit Locker Juniors is not going to be a thing. It'll just grow. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's class to hear. But when, one of your original points, Rob, um, about bringing in a coach, um, you know, was it Megan from, yeah, the, the Derby County uh, ladies player? That's obviously got a cost associated to it. Mm. Um, so what kind of, what have you guys been doing outside of, you know, subs to be able to make the environment what it is? Yeah, so I mean, it is the trick actually is uh, initially those coaches tend to cost you. So they cost you through, you know, the association you've got with the, with the private coaching company. In our case, it was Qualitas. So, you know, I would have to pay 
Qualitas a, a pitch hire fee, uh, and then that pitch hire fee included a, a coach. So Megan or Ryan Collins before him, or Tom D'Angeli before him, were earning a fee from from the coaching company that were participating for us. But it's a unique thing about grassroots sport and about kids sport in particular is they have an, they have this this uncanny ability to draw you in and make you care about them. So actually I don't play we don't pay any of those coaches anymore. They all volunteer their time because they want to be part of it and they want to keep uh, keep doing doing stuff. And each of them, you know, Ryan now works with uh, Sheffield United Futures, but he still invests a bit of time with us. Tom D'Angeli works for the Billy Sharp um, coaching academy, but he still takes us on a Thursday night and on a match day. Uh, and like I say, Megan um, comes down on a Thursday night and helps us out as well. So it's all free now, which is which is cool. But the offset we offset that with the with the coaching qualifications that we pay for. Um, to come back to your question though, fundraising tends to be quite hard graft, and actually, and this is where it was difficult. So by having a a higher subs framework, so when we originally set up, we charged I think twenty five quid a month. We now charge thirty a month. Um, that thirty a month gets uh, the kids two training sessions and all their match day, all their kit fees, all their training kit, equipment, balls, uh, whatever. Um, it's all included in that. Sessions a week? Yeah, we do two sessions a week. So we do Monday night from uh, 6 till 7.30, and then we do a Thursday night session for about an hour. Um, normally a bit of game shape um, or like a phase of play that the kids want to want to work on, whether it's attacking or defending or winning the ball back or something. That's so brilliant for grassroots because traditionally, I think we train uh, once a week, even the step seven club that I work with, it's once a week. Um, that's that's good. Really good. It goes back to this environment thing, doesn't it? You know, how do you get kids operating in the best environment? Well, we do, you know, drills and skills on a Monday and they play a bit of a game at the end normally. But then Thursday, they'll do some proper work on the shape for their particular uh, particular team. Um, increasingly, now we're getting more experience in the league. You know, you think, right, we're playing this team on a Sunday. We know they're really strong and physical in this area. So that's the that's the bit of, bit of play we work on. So again, kind of using what you'd see professional Premier League, et cetera, players talking about in the media and, do, and, and showcasing it with our kids. And silly little things, right? Like buying a mannequin for them to take a free kick over instead of putting a cone on the floor. They suddenly think they're Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's great to watch. But... Now come back, Ollie. Your your question on funding. That that thirty quid a month buys you uh, some goodwill with your parents, and when they see what they get, for, it's all about proposition, isn't it? If you're getting good value for your spend, you're more likely to be happy to spend it. And I think our offer gives good value for money. It's not cheap, but I think well, everything that comes into the club goes straight back out to the kids, which the parents can see, which I think is important. Um, but then we do the classic fundraising activities around that, and we try and do, you know, try and do some crazy stuff with that. So I remember auctioning off two uh, painted gnomes in our first year. We got them painted up as the as the home and away kit, and you know, Ash, the secretary, is quite creative. He's a graphic designer by trade, so he came up with this gnome and away concept, and we sold tickets for it and threw them out. I think six hundred quid, I think, doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Everybody wanted to win them as well. There was hideous bloody garden gnomes, and everybody wanted to win them. And um, fact, actually, I think you've got these done as well. Yeah, the beer mats. So, <laughs> so they, so right, so those stainless steel mats were another one of Ash's 
has his ideas. He's got a, a mate of his that's a fabricator, and he asked for two big um, uh, club badges, you know, like classic Chef Wednesday, Chef United stuff. Again, we could auction off as part of the club. And all of the offcuts of these big sheets of steel, he just left kicking around. So Ash goes in, he says, well, oh, can you make us some beer mats with these, um, with our logo on? And, and, and you get the Kit Rocker Juniors uh, emblem embossed into the, into the sheet steel. We, we gave the kids those for Christmas one year. Yeah. Um, I think we dumped a load with, uh, with you guys at Kit Locker so you could dish them out as well. Um, but, but you surround yourself with good people, they'll have good ideas. And like I said earlier, I'd never say no to somebody. So when I said, do we fancy doing some beer mats? I was like, yeah, crack on. You know, if we can get those at 50p a unit and sell them at £2.50 a unit, we make two quid for the club. It goes straight back in and, you know, 10 balls cost me, what, 70, 80 quid for Nike footballs. It, it starts chipping away at the cost, doesn't it? And, yeah. and ultimately improves the, improves the environment and improves the, the, the culture that the kids get in, embedded in. Doing, on, on not necessarily on fundraising, but from your experience, do you still look at sponsors as well, Rob, or is it, I know that the, the, I guess the team wear or kit locker, I don't, I'm not quite sure as to what, what we still do or what we do, but do you still look at getting other sponsors involved and how do you do that? Yeah, we do. So we, so we still speak to sponsors, but I'm, I'm quite protective of the kit locker brand and it probably stems from my association with you guys over a number of years and the, and the links that I've got with, with the company now that, and this is where it gets quite hard actually, because as soon as that kid takes to the field wearing a kit, representing Kit Locker Juniors, wearing a kit that's clearly got the Kit Locker logo on it, which you guys use on your website, which has clearly got kitlocker.com splashed across the front of the shirt, they're not just representing that football club, they're representing you as well. And that then extends not just to their behaviour on the field, it extends to our coaches and our managers' behaviour, and it extends to our parents' behaviour. So Sundays are really stressful for me because I never want any parents kicking off on the touchline. So we've churned players because of that um, and lost good players because of it, because I want a happy, constructive, supportive touchline. Um, that environment I talked about earlier has to reflect the values of the, of the company. Um, so we're careful with sponsorship. Um, I think if anybody ever offered us the title sponsorship, so the main uh, front of shirt splash, um, I think it's a conversation we probably have with uh, with Mike and you guys at, at HQ. Um, I'd be pretty protective over the name, to be honest. I think it, it really defines what we do and, and who we're about. So when I have sponsorship discussions, it tends to be, you know, we've got a space on the sleeve. Do you fancy that for two or three hundred quid? Or we've got some training kit. Do you want to put your name on the back of our, um, I don't know, mid layers or something like that? Or um, or when we go on the tour, we're always looking for sponsors, and we do that for you know training kit or you know tour polo that type of thing. But I, I interestingly come across sorry to jump in there. I come uh, I come across a very good idea that I I'm, I'm now putting out to grassroots or football clubs that I'm talking to. So last year I was talking to a very well set up club, and I think the step three. Um, and what do they do instead of allowing each team to go out and get the sponsor? Um, that pays for the quote that Kitlocker generate and, and that's £400, for example. What this club do, has done is created a PDF, a sponsorship mm -hmm. document, and the costings per kit, the kit's set, the home and away, the training kit and everything, and that they've put the prices on there. They know Kitlocker prices, they've then dictated the prices, give that PDF to the managers, 
go out and get your sponsors. Obviously, there's a little bit of markup in there from the club. Um, and they're going out, and it's such a professional document that the managers have got something where the prices are set, they can't, they can't haggle, um, they know what they're getting with it, and then obviously that goes through the kit manager at the club. I thought that was very, it sounds very simple and straightforward, but you'd be surprised that when I've said it to grassroots clubs, like that's a very, very good idea. Um, it's not too difficult to create, get a PDF created, get the prices in there from us and mark it up a little bit. That, that commercial then goes back into the club. Mm. Um, and the few, well, probably 20 clubs I've said it to over the past three or four months, can you send it, Mr. Or can you use it? Can you send it? They're then using it. Um, and it's a great tool to, to have things set, but then also just keep a little bit aside for the club as well. Simple ideas are always the best, aren't they? Um, it, it, what you've just described there is, in a nutshell, the situation that you find in particularly grassroots football and as you go up into some of the earlier tiers. And that's simply because clubs are run by volunteers and they, they won't have time to even think about, oh, I'll put this on, uh, I'll, I'll put a PDF together, we'll sell X amount of sponsorship this way, that way, and the next way. You get some of that when you get into the bigger clubs. So Hillsborough Pumas, for instance, would probably do something along those lines, but would give more uh, leeway to their, to their to each of their managers for a for a shirt sponsor, for instance. So Mick, bless him, was always going out every summer trying to find a new shirt sponsor and and always turn one up. I don't know how he did it, and you know it, it tends to then stem from your networks. And it's you go to your mates, hey, come on, you know my lad's playing in this grassroots team. Uh, you know, can you chuck us four hundred quid for that? And there's a there's a very quite poorly articulated narrative you know without getting too academic on this because I work at a university um, I think we can be much smarter with it and I think we can say there's a proposition here and from a finance point of view any organization sponsoring a charity or a small grassroots team like this can deduct that value from its tax bill mm. so actually it doesn't cost the 400 quid it costs a lot, lot less than that but we don't talk about things like that because the environment's not as professional as as is it, it could be. Is it a resource yeah. thing though, Rob? You know, you talk about creating a PDF, you need some, you know, some level of software to create that. That I guess that that's a, something that's not massively accessible, is it, to everybody that does, you know, that runs and is part of a football club? Yeah, and it goes back to what I was saying about people's skills and when they come to me, I'll always say yes because everybody has got their own skills, haven't they? And they can bring those things to the table. And I go back to some of Alfie's early early time in, in grassroots, most of the guys that managed and ran the teams were builders or electricians or tradesmen of some description that don't have the technical expertise to put a PDF together. And that's not doing them down. That's just recognizing that they could build you a pavilion and a clubhouse at your, at your ground. And that's what a lot of them do, but they couldn't necessarily do the sorts of things we've just talked about today. And it's, it's a, it's a skills gap that grassroots sport have. And I, I always wonder whether there should be, you know, some sort of resource area where clubs can very quickly download templates to do this sort of stuff and, and then go out and, and market themselves to the local areas. That's uh, something that I've, I've wanted to work with, especially with County FAs, the, the element of the marketing, the sponsorship, the commercials side of things. I think we can elevate how we work with them. And then, so I have discussions with all in the marketing team, thinking, can we create this, can we can we do that? And get, But it making it accessible, but you almost need to ensure it obviously comes back to Kitlocker. If it's a download on .com, it's accessible to anybody. But doing it through your partners, it shows what you can do. Um, 
So that, I guess that's not really relation to, to anything to do with developing a club. It's more from our perspective. But but, it, but relationships like that work hand in hand, don't they? So, you know, without blowing smoke at you guys, when we set Kit Locker up, I remember typing into Google, what are the costs associated with setting up a grassroots team? Yeah. And one of the top hits was one of your blogs. And I genuinely... I wrote that. Pulled, right. Genuinely pulled the budget spreadsheet together based on that data. It was nearly accurate. It was close enough. And, and that's what got us started. And, you know, we've talked, haven't we, historically, you know, is there, you know, there budget templates we can put together to help people are there, you know, idea. We should be sharing this stuff. This is not something that should be unique to a club or B club or C club. This should be stuff that every grassroots team should be able to access and interface with and raise their own standards and raise the, the opportunities that they're giving to the kids. Yeah, massively. Um, just to go back to this original fundraising point, I think there's probably a couple of points to take out of that, and that is being creative around your fundraising ideas. The norm, the painted norm thing is a perfect example of that. And the other one is surrounding yourself with good people that can give you the tools you need to be able to fundraise well. So I think that, you know, if you're, if you are listening to little bits of this and we'll probably cut this bit up as a, as a, as a, as a separate clip that those two are massively important for, you know, for raising funds for the club, especially outside of being able to, you know, raise subs. If you're in an area where maybe you can't do that. So those are definitely points. Ollie, just to, to kind of elevate Kitlocker Juniors a little bit more here as, as the case study, you don't have your own clubhouse either, Rob. You don't have your own facility. You, you don't have changing rooms or a bar where you, or a tub shop or that a lot of traditional grassroots clubs do have. So a lot of clubs that might look at, you, look at, you, at Kitlocker Juniors and think, well, they've got all these opportunities. Well, yeah, but then other clubs have got this opportunity so in theory that should be able to make a lot of commercial a lot of revenue whereas you're having to really think on your feet you have to do things differently bottom line and I'm, you know we started playing at first year we set up, we were playing at Sheffield Adam University sport park out on Borsha Road by the M1 and the deal was there I got a very very small discount on the pitch hire and it really wasn't a lot the pitch hire was very expensive but you couldn't have a tuck shop you couldn't sell anything down the side of the pitch because they had a cafe and they were trying to drive their own revenue through that space. And when that happens, you know, your Sunday costs you, what, 120 quid a game by the time you factored in the referee fees and, and you bought your respect barrier and all that stuff. Um, and that's where the, the fee, the substructure was quite important. And there was always a deficit. You know, we didn't generate enough through subs to cover the running costs of the club. So you have two choices. You either fold the club because you don't have enough money or you start doing some crazy stuff to try and raise a, raise a bit of cash, Noman away being a good example. But, but I would actively speak to parents and say, you know, we need to raise a bit of money here. And I don't care if it's 10 or 15 quid, if you get, a, you know, if we buy a load of Smarties tubes for the kids and we get them to go around and get people to put 20 peas in. Because if you put 20 peas in a Smarties tube, by the way, you get about 13 quid's worth in them. Um, now, if you then I'll give each kid, right, <laughs> We've done it. If you give each kid a Smarties tube and say, right, there's your free Smarties tube, and I want you to come back in a month's time, and I want that to be full of 20p's. Scrounging 20p off a few people isn't like asking them for, for five or 10 quid. 
But you multiply the 13 by 15 kids in the squad and all of a sudden you've got a new pack of balls or you've yeah. got a you know, contribution towards some training kit or mid layer. Where did you get that idea from? I pinched that from Holland's End Cricket Club where, again, Alfie played up there. They were raising money for a, I think it was a defibrillator machine and their president came over and he had this, you know, big box of Smarty Tune. He literally just handed them all out. He said, there you go, lads. Smarties for everyone. I want those back next week full of 20p's. And um, the, the 20p's not a lot, but yeah. for a kid to be able to say, I was the first one to fill that Smarties tube up with 20p's, it, it was pretty impressive. And then I get greedy and I say, right, we won't do 20p's, we'll do it with pound coins and raise a bit more. <laughs> Brilliant. The next one, Rob's going to be the, uh, the card machine. You're going to have to have buy the pitch card machine. Yeah, that's going to be difficult though because they tend to charge you, so you're going to have to work out a markup on something like that. Yeah, they do, don't they? But um, Rob, my next question is around being financially responsible as a club, and obviously, you guys, there's a lot of money that goes through teams for you know pitches, referees, kits, everything like that. Um, I'm expecting a really, really deep and authentic answer here with this, based on your profession, which we've not actually covered. So first, uh, just tell us what you do on a day-to-day and how many times you've been on bbc.co.uk and what, how you do that for the club. All right, so my day job is I run a department that teaches finance, accounting and business systems. Uh, so we train future accountants and economists and that sort of thing. Um, and my little hobby horse is I'm a, an apparent expert in football finances, so I do a lot of commentary through local national international media i couldn't tell you how many times i've been on the b-volley it's shamefully uh, too many to have counted over the last few years um but and i'll say this is a big but finance isn't difficult you've got to adhere to two key rules um ben right remember remember some of this um first rule is is the selling price higher than the cost i.e whatever it is that you're you're selling, you need to make sure there's a little bit of margin in it for you to make sure you can continue running. And secondly, can you pay your debts as they fall due? So if you owe somebody some money, are you able to recover that and pay them back? And if any club, any organisation, be it a one-man band or a multinational organisation, adheres to those two rules, they tend to survive at the end of the year and continue trading. Um, Now that manifests itself for Kitlocker Juniors as whatever we bring in, we have to make sure we spend no more than that and we try and have a balance of about five or 600 quid for the, for the following season. And that's simply the balance on the account to make sure we can pay league registration fees, player insurance fees, all that type of thing before the subs start again. Um, so it's pretty basic stuff. Not, no need for a long and deep answer on that one. No, I, pre- no, I appreciate that. You know, I'm the same when I play football and I was a youngster. I played for Thorncliffe Juniors and... Every single season, new kit, new trading well, new balls. And when you're a kid, you don't think about any of that. You know, it's, it's normally put onto one person in particular, normally a parent, as you've said, and you just want to play football, but you don't, you don't think about that side of it until, you know, you're on the other side of it where you're not on the pitch. And it becomes, it becomes an, a massive responsibility to make sure that they do, you know, they carry on playing and they get in the new kit every, every season. So... I'm, uh, I'm involved with uh, the Step 7 Club, Haworth Colliery, and uh, very close to the chairman. And obviously, working at Kitlocker, they get it through Kitlocker. And every year, Johnny's like, we'll get new training wear, new kit. I'm like, no, 
they don't need it because at this level the lads don't pay for it the club plays, pays for it and I'm like no they don't need it and Johnny's like yeah but I've seen this new no they don't need it they're fine two years it's let it know and the lads are like we're getting a new kit no you're not no yeah but you work for kit locker no you're not it's like- really hard right and one of the things we I have tried to do is and I know these kids are 11 12 13 right so I'm not I'm not trying to turn them into accountants or financially responsible young adults, but I do try and impress upon them the value of what they have. So they feel very closely related to Kit Locker as an organization because they know the kit's coming from them and they, they take pride in that. But it's little things like they kick football all over the place, right? And before the training sessions start, the first thing that happens is the balls all come out of the bag and then someone starts tanking it all over the field. And where we train, there's a couple of double link fences and then it's into no man's land. And, and I've remember kids, you know, smashing these balls, flying over the fence. And I've just resorted to saying, that's 12 quid you owe us now. Brand new football, that's 12 quid, just gone over the fence. And I say it tongue in cheek to start with, but you say that two or three times and they begin to think, actually, you know, that's nearly half my subs for a month has gone into that ball. And, you know, we never ask them to replace them. But, um, but, but trying to convey value uh, to, to the young kids, I think is quite important. And I'll be perfectly honest, I do it with the coaches as well, um, because they tend to leave the kit bag in an absolute state and I keep having to wash it out. So it's all about ownership, isn't it? It is. It is. I'm, uh, Rob, I'm conscious that obviously we need to wrap up soon. So I've got uh, one quite big question, which I'd like you to answer, which is if... I was setting up a grassroots Sunday League football team in Sheffield um, for next season. What would you tell me? Uh, I'd tell you to get in touch with the Sheffield and District Juniors Sunday Football League first off. They're uh, essentially a volunteer-led organisation, but they do some brilliant work. And you know, we don't agree with them all the time, but they, they put in some serious guards. Um, so get to know them because they'll walk, walk you through everything you need to, to know about it, connect you with the local FA. Um, have a look at the Kit Locker blog on setting up a club because the fees are, are broadly right and still, still accurate. Um, I would say that the initial cost of setting up a team from scratch is around about a thousand quid. So you either get that in through some early subs or you need a couple of people to put the hand in the pocket. And you know, that's what we did. And we repaid some of that value over the course of the season. Um, and just be prepared to invest a lot of time to scratch your head a lot to despair at the way some people behave, particularly uh, at other clubs when they're a little bit jealous of what you have. Um, but grow some thick skin and remember that actually what you're doing is benefiting loads and loads of people and can be really valuable as an experience. And I've got to be honest, Ollie, I never thought I'd want to be a volunteer. It's, it doesn't seem to be in my makeup, but I've loved the last three years with these lads. It's been great fun. And I think one thing to add to that that summarizes a lot of that you've mentioned during this is listen to the people that are next to you you've said three times now that you've never said no if if someone's not offering something specific but just take every opportunity as it comes and that's that's what led that what that's what has led you down this path is you've not said no and you've got so many opportunities and you've created you've created a brand that's that's reputable not just reputable from a kit locker but a football club brand that kids want to play for and you've got that high value badge that they love to play for yeah i always wanted it to be attractive i wanted to 
you know, to get to the end of the season, I wanted people knocking on our door to say, we'd really love our kids to be able to join your club. And that means we can, we either add a new squad to the roster or we, you know, add a new age group and not turn people away. You know, people have said, you know, we want to start up an under nines or an under tens. And I've spoken to them and I don't necessarily feel that they have the same values as, as we did. And the scaling up becomes much more difficult than it might be elsewhere because I'm quite protective of the brand and what we do. And you've got to have that environment. And if you don't have the environment, then it's, then it's not happening under our, under our logo. Um, and it's also, you'd have to balance some of the politics as well. So you get a group of parents that are well into it and will go and fill the Smarties tubes up, for instance. And then you get a group of parents that you know, can't be bothered and they've, they've got other things to do. So you get half your Smarties tubes back in. It, that's not just a financial thing. That actually creates a bit of resentment in the in the parenting side of things because some parents will see themselves as doing a lot of work and and actually the others not doing so much and you have to balance it a bit on the touchline and and you just drive everybody's got value and everybody can put something into the into the club and you know thirty people doing something is much more efficient and much more effective than two or three isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. I need to find a kit supplier now and then I can set my team up. I know a place. I know a place. Yeah. So, Good luck with that one. <laughs> I can try. I can try. Not yet. A few more years yet. But I'll be, we'll, I'll be franchising Kitlocker Juniors when uh, when Eddie uh, has a baby and my daughter's older. We'll uh, we'll bring it over to Worksop as well. Yeah. Why not? Might as well. Might as well. Let's... Franchising it'd be quite a good idea, wouldn't it? But yeah. um, whether it stack up against some of the real grassroots mentality, I don't know. It's, yeah, politics quite hard. You know there is. We've got a lot of people that have said a lot of good stuff about us. Um, there's a few people that have said some more derogatory stuff. And I have heard, heard parents say as we've been walking to games, oh, look, it's the famous Kitlocker Juniors coming to town. Um, and, and a few people have created this kind of false brand that we've been given everything, that it's all tied up. And, you know, it's a bit, I just think it's a bit of jealousy. And if they saw what we did behind the scenes, they'd, I think they'd change the tune a little bit. And, never go out to say a club should be doing what we do you know what we're comfortable with what we do really happy with the environment we've created and you know i think the, the fact that the kids love it is all i'm really bothered about at the end of it all and um as most of us do we run it for our for our own kids and and i know my lad loves it so that's enough that's it well hopefully uh, hopefully those parents can can listen to this and get a bit of insight because it's been been fascinating to hear the other side to it you know behind the badge and, and what you guys are doing behind the scenes because like you said there's a lot of time that goes into it building relationships being creative making sure that the kids are in the right environment there's so much more to it than handouts and for people that are listening to this on spotify that can't see my me doing uh, inverted inverted commas in my hands that there is a lot more to it than that so rob it's been fascinating listening and really appreciate your time and hopefully people listening to this will you know be able to take something away from it and you know grow their club be able to fundraise a little bit better better branding you know expand um or do whatever is positive that you've kind of discussed so yeah thank you for your time thank you very much. Pleasure. yeah pleasure to be involved guys and you know if anyone is listening and is interested a bit more then you know can drop me a line more than happy to share the the Kit Locker Junior story because I don't think it's rocket science and you know, the more clubs that can follow suit and create good environments the better as far as I'm concerned. The kitlocker.com club series podcast. podcast. Talking everything grassroots.